1: This episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class is brought to you by Get Your Guide. If you're planning a trip and you are not sure what you want to do when you get there, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. You can make memories from all over the globe with these tours that are locally vetted and expertly curated. All kinds of variety based on whatever it is that you're into. So if it's food or nature or sports, you can immerse yourself in any of these things on your next vacation. So just as some examples, there's a New York City deli food. tour or whitewater rafting on the Grand Canyon. This is not just in the United States either. There is a chocolate and patisserie tour of Paris or a pasta-making class in Rome. All of this sounds so awesome. You can discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Again, that is GetYourGuide.com. Happy Saturday, everyone. This is going to be a couple of weeks in the past by the time this Saturday episode comes out. But as we are recording it, a few days ago, Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, and Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, announced that they were stepping away from their duties as senior members of the British royal family. And after what seems, at least from my outsider's perspective, to have been a very chaotic few days for the royals, Queen Elizabeth II issued a statement that she and the royal family were quote, entirely supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create a new life. That announcement was just yesterday as of when we're recording this.
0: Tomorrow it could all
1: explode. (laughs) I know. Who who knows?
0: Um, Of course, this put us in the mind of another famous stepping away from the British royal family, one that had a very different tone and outcome, and that's the constitutional crisis that led to the abdication of King Edward VIII after he announced his proposal to marry Wallace Simpson.
1: So, we're going to have that episode today. And whenever we have shared that episode on our social media... Folks have left various comments about the Duke and Duchess of Windsor's Nazi sympathies, like kind of a gotcha. But like, uh, we know (laughs) Katie and Sarah, who, who recorded these episodes in 2010, they knew it also and talked about it in the episode. And then they also put out an episode on that topic specifically, especially related to the contents of an FBI file on the Windsors. Both of these episodes, which came out as I said in 2010, they're a bit shorter than our episodes typically are today, so we are putting them out together today as sort of a Saturday classic doubleheader. So enjoy.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
3: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie
4: Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And Katie and I have had so much fun talking about royal scandals recently that we're going to talk about at least one more. This one is from the 20th century, though.
3: So in 1936, Britain's King Edward VIII renounced his throne in order to marry an American divorcee named Wallace Simpson. And he was the only British sovereign ever to voluntarily resign the crown. So... This is a big deal.
4: Yeah, it forces his shy younger brother to become king, which ends up putting his eldest daughter in the line of succession. That becomes Elizabeth II. Um, and Edward and Wallace are shunned by the injured royal family. They travel the world. They hobnob with Nazis. And they become style icons. But there's a big question about their relationship. And that's, was is it a great love story? Did he give up his throne Um to marry the woman he loved? Or is there something more tragic?
3: So let's meet our major players. Bessie Wallace Warfield was born June nineteenth, eighteen 1896 in Pennsylvania, but she grew up in Baltimore. And her birth was a bit of a scandal because she was born only seven months after her parents' marriage. So do the math.
4: Yeah. And they were from a fairly elite family and uh, society definitely cared about that kind of thing. Her father died when she was only five months old though. And her mother had to rely on handouts from a wealthy relative. Um, She grew up in Maryland and attended the Oldfield School and dumped her first name. And I kind of love this quote. She said that so many cows are called Bessie. So she goes by Wallace instead. So she's part of... High society because she's born into it, but she's not because she doesn't have the money. And this really bugs her.
3: So she needs to find a way in, and she decides the way in is marriage. And she marries Earl W. Spencer, a Navy pilot, in 1916, but it's a complete disaster from the start. Her husband was an alcoholic, and he was very moody, and she ends up leaving him.
4: She has a short affair after that and lives in Virginia for a time. Uh, But after her divorce, she has another longer-lasting affair with the then-married Ernest Simpson, who was a U.S.-born Brit. And she writes to her mother, I really feel so tired of fighting the world all alone and with no money. So it sounds like she kind of settles for him.
3: Well, and I I have sympathy for that sentiment. But they end up getting married in 1928, and they live near London. But later, she meets a more illustrious personage.
4: That's Edward, Prince of Wales. And she meets him at a house party given by his mistress at the time, Lady Thelma Furness. So she's 35 years old and married. But Wallace has something seductive about her.
3: Something that draws this prince to her. And who is he? Well, this is the story of Edward. He was born June twenty third, 1894, and he has pretty much the longest name ever, (laughs) Edward Albert Christian George Andrew Patrick David. So his friends called him David.
4: And he becomes Prince of Wales in 1911. He's really not suited to his position. It exhausts him. He feels isolated, and he's a frivolous young man. He's into drinking and womanizing. And
3: clothes. And he
4: likes clothes, yeah. He... He at one point writes to his longtime mistress and friend before his his mistress before he meets Wallace. If only the British public really knew what a weak, powerless misery their press made national hero was, they would have a nasty shock and be not only disappointed, but damned angry, too.
3: And he was a national hero. He was incredibly popular and partly that's because in the 1920s he undertook extensive foreign tours in the empire to represent his father because he wasn't allowed to serve in the army.
4: Yeah, as crown prince. He's they don't want to put him into the direct line of danger. But yeah, he he becomes very popular with his people, and he's a you know, their bright young prince. He's also during the twenties having a lot of affairs with married women. Um, and uh, kind of a weird side note that is really not related to anything here he's somewhat of an authority on horticulture especially roses his father gave him a a refuge fort belvedere and he entertained his friends there and he had a he had an unconventional set of friends they weren't drawn from just the same aristocracy that generations of monarchs had been hanging out with they were more like the high society
3: All right, so we've got this picture, you know, champagne and roses and clothes and lots of women, but soon there's only one woman. So after Wallace and Edward meet, they're just friendly for a while, but by 1934, Edward is a regular visitor to the Simpson home, and their relationship is probably consummated around this time, not to be too detailed.
4: Yeah, and she tells her aunt, it requires great tact to manage both men. I shall try to keep them both. So she's got her husband <laughs> having and your
3: cake and eating her her it too, while Simpson,
4: and it's not a discreet affair at all. They really flaunt it, and. you know, it was accepted that the king or um, the prince would have a mistress, but it would be somebody who he would visit from time to time and and certainly not parade about in public and at public events.
3: Well, and not a married woman who also has another ex-husband.
4: Yeah. Um, But Edward becomes obsessed with Wallace and she's... Kind of got a bullying personality, and he likes
3: it. It's, she makes him put on her shoes for her.
4: Yeah, he he's into that. So the affair was kept out of most of the British papers until the very end of Edward's kingship. Uh, it was just a suppressed story, but it is a scandal in America and a lot of the continent. Where oh yeah, in every paper. Yeah, it's it's kind of the original British royal tabloid scandal.
3: And Edward is proclaimed king at the beginning of 1936 when his father dies. And around the same time, Wallace sues for divorce in July of 1936. So upon her divorce, of course, comes the next question, will they marry? Edward wants to marry Wallace, and he
4: tries to get his family's acceptance and they're not going for it at all. Also against him is the Church of England, of which he's head, <laughs> and most of the politicians in Britain and the Commonwealth. His only notable ally is Churchill, who's out of power at the time. And um, another sort of side note, Churchill has a reputation as being uh, an a alcoholic. A bit of an alcoholic, yeah. yeah. but. His biographer said probably the only occasion when he addressed the House of Commons under the influence of alcohol, not drunk, but kind of tipsy, was during the abdication crisis when he's actually howled down.
3: And there are discussions of a morganatic marriage pursued, which is something we talked a little bit about in the Madame de Montenal um, podcast.
4: Yeah, a marriage of, of social unequals.
3: Right, where she wouldn't become queen, but they would be together. And
4: their children wouldn't inherit
3: rights. Right. But Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin tells Edward that is absolutely not happening. It's not an option.
4: And Edward wants to also address his people through the radio, pleading for their support. And the that's not going to happen either. It's not allowed. It's
3: simply not done. He, he
4: did write a speech, though. And in it, he wrote, it has taken me a long time to find the woman I want to make my wife. Yeah, for real. Without her, I have been a very lonely man. So this is from his banned speech. But the whole thing really explodes in the press and parliament on December 3rd.
3: And on the following day, the word abdication starts appearing in the papers. And before you start to get too sympathetic toward the prince for his, you know, romantic Fairy tale love. We should talk a little bit about some of the people who were suffering during this whole thing.
4: Yeah. His brother, known as Bertie to his family, the future George VI, is really shy and he's fought with a stammer. He's been forced to write with his right hand, even though he's a lefty. And he's also really happy where he is in life. He's married, he has two young daughters, and he's terrified by the prospect
3: of becoming king. And his wife, Elizabeth, told her mother-in-law, Queen Mary, that she prayed every day for the king to see reason and not abandon his people. But... As much as George didn't want to become king, a lot of people thought he would be much better at it than Edward was. Even his own father had once said, I pray God that my eldest son will never marry and that nothing will come between Bertie and Lilibet and the throne.
4: And Lilibet is, of course, now Elizabeth II.
3: Um, But still, George isn't
4: happy with the prospect of becoming king. And he later records that when he learned his brother would abdicate, he I broke down and sobbed like a child. So this is a tremendous strain on him, and he's, he's horrified by the duty he's about to have to assume.
3: But the king makes his final decision December 10th, 1936, and he submits his abdication. I, Edward, do hereby declare my irrevocable determination to renounce the throne for myself and my descendants.
4: And the instrument of abdication was endorsed by Parliament on December 11th. And that evening, Edward finally did get to have his radio broadcast he had wanted pre-abdication. And he tells his people, I found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love.
3: A plea for sympathy, if I've ever heard one.
4: And uh, that night, he he disappears to the wind. He goes to the continent and lives with friends in Austria, discreetly apart from Wallace while her
3: divorce is finalized. And Wallace herself does not have a great reputation. And at the time, she was perceived as a schemer. But was she? Because a document that was kept in the private papers of Stanley Baldwin for years includes a declaration that's signed by her before the abdication that said she'd abandon any interest in marrying his majesty. It wasn't even what she was trying to get, or at least she signed a paper saying that wasn't what she was trying to get.
4: Even in Edward's abdication speech, he mentions that the the other person who is as closely involved in this as I am has urged me to the last to not go through with it. So it, it seems as though she was trying to talk him down from actually giving up his throne.
3: Well, and she had some qualms about him. She was disturbed by how clingy he was. And the quote that really struck us was when she wrote to an uncle and said, how can a woman be a whole empire to a man?
4: And I think that's a quote that really haunts their married life together, which, after this whirlwind courtship and abdication, goes on for a long time, decades.
2: Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree.
0: Privileges and start earning points toward your next day. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at ChoiceHotels.com where travels come true.
2: Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabe. Anabe, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639.
3: So what's next? Edward is named the Duke of Windsor by his brother, who's now George VI, and Wallace's divorce is finalized. They're married June third, 1937, by a Church of England clergyman at the Chateau de Condé in France.
4: And even though Wallace is now Duchess of Windsor, the title of Royal Highness is not extended to her. That's a big deal. Um, It is a big deal. It's something that really bothers Edward for the rest of his life. Um, They live in France for the next two years and visit other countries, most famously visiting Germany. Infamously, perhaps. Yes, (laughs) infamously. Um, They're actually honored by Nazi officials in October of 1937 and have an interview with Hitler. Um, The pro-German sympathies of the couple end up becoming the subject of an FBI investigation in 1941 and also the subject of a later podcast. So we're going to sort of skip over this Nazi period.
3: So we'll jump ahead to 1940 when their pro-Nazi sympathies have become so obvious that Churchill has basically exiled them to the Bahamas. The Duke is now the governor there.
4: So they stay in the Bahamas pretty much for the duration of the war, returning to France in 1945.
3: And they took up a life as members of the international set, a very flashy celebrity kind of life that was reported in every single paper. Time magazine even named Wallace Simpson their first woman of the year. They'd only had man of the year since then because she was so talked about.
4: Yeah, and pugs and platinum are
3: how I think Katie and I like to define them. She Uh, had 11 pugs at some point, and they had really cool names, Imp and Disraeli.
4: Yeah, she'd give them homemade dog biscuits and let them cuddle up on her bed with her. Uh, She was also really into clothing and jewelry and wore flashy stuff, big jewels and lots of yellow gold. But Interestingly, she banned uh, anything but platinum from her dinner parties. I guess it seemed fancier to her.
3: And while they were very rich, Edward in his later years became very concerned about their finances. He argued with his brother about his annual allowance and refused to live in the United States as a private citizen because he didn't want to deal with the taxes.
4: Yeah, I think that's to be expected for someone who was Born to be a king and who was king. And, and living then like a king. <laughs> has to settle for, you know, living like a very wealthy man instead of a king.
3: And Edward's personality, not just his fortune, has also changed since the abdication. He becomes, as his biographer Philip Ziegler says, reactionary to the point of caricature, even though before the war he'd had many of the same values as conservatives.
4: Yeah, he's, he's kind of embittered by his situation. And he's very dependent on Wallace, too. He's a very dependent husband. And as we said earlier, still outraged over the fact that she can't style herself as royal highness.
3: Right. And she's not received as as she would be usually. So because of some of this, he only makes short visits to England. He goes back for the funeral of his brother, George VI, and he goes back for the funeral of his mother, Queen Mary.
4: And he even writes upon Queen Mary's death to Wallace, What a smug, stinking lot my relations are. And you've never seen such a seedy, worn-out bunch of old hags most of them have become. So bitter, bitter words Very from, bitter. From he's Edward. never gotten
3: over his family's unwillingness to accept Wallace as one of their own. The Queen mom always hated her, but... Her daughter, Elizabeth II, eventually attempted a reconciliation with Edward near the end of his life, and he was very ill. He was in bed. Dying his, of throat cancer. Right, and his doctors had taken care to cover up, you know, some of the tubing and…
4: Machinery that he was using to live.
3: Yes, and he was told not to get up because he was so ill, but when she came in the room, he rose and he bowed to her, and she was very touched by that display of respect. So
4: Edward dies of his throat cancer on the 28th of May, 1972, in Paris and is buried near Windsor. And the Duchess spent her remaining time um, in isolation and in increasingly poor health. She's kind of lost without the Duke, it seems. And she dies in 1986 and is buried behind her husband at his request in the Royal Cemetery at Frogmore, also near Windsor Castle.
3: But that's not the end of our story, because several years ago, right after the Queen Mother died... There, some new information came some out. Some documents were released. Right, that said maybe Wallace was two-timing Edward during their courtship. Actually, there's no maybe about it. No. She was. <laughs> so government
4: papers from the time of abdication were subject to a 30-year rule of secrecy, you know, protecting people who were involved. And then some were considered so sensitive that it was decided they wouldn't be released for 100 years. But after the queen mother died, um, she was sort of the only living um, person who was very much involved in the in the documents after she died it was decided the papers could come out and they it turns out that both Simpson and Edward were under surveillance by a special branch of the Metropolitan Police and while she was married Pursuing her affair with Edward, she also had a third lover named Guy Trundle, a married car salesman who lived in Mayfair.
3: And he was a kept man. She gave him payments and also expensive presents. And Edward had absolutely no idea. Wallace went to great lengths to conceal his existence. There was a lot on the line, yeah. I understand.
4: So this. Puts a little bit of a damper, I'd say, on the on the fairy tale romance. And it also shows just how complex their relationship was.
3: Right. Biographies of Wallace seem to either go the way of being really salacious and gossipy or whitewashing the entire thing. So, so it's
4: just a grand romance. Right. And it's and it's hard to find that that middle bit. Definitely.
3: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie
4: Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And Katie and I talked about the glamorous, jet-setting life of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor in another podcast. And we only briefly touched on what most people would consider the dark side of their life.
3: And a good symbol of the dark side of their life would be the picture of Adolf Hitler kissing the hand of the Duchess of Windsor. Which certainly does suggest problems. Right. And this all starts... With a good example, their wedding, their much-talked-about wedding. Wallace and Edward were married at the Chateau de Condé in France, which was owned by a man named Charles Badeau. He was an eccentric millionaire known for his work with scientific management and also for an expedition he sponsored called the Champagne Safari. But he wasn't as well-known for his work for the Third Reich. He would later kill himself right before he was put on trial for treason. So, from the very beginning, the shadow of the Nazis is upon this couple.
4: Yeah, and to give a little context to why the uh, once British king could feel sympathy towards the Nazis, Edward feels as much German as English. His great grandfather, Prince Albert, Victoria's husband, is of German ancestry. His mother, Queen Mary, um, and he's also an ancestor of King George the First, who is. Uh, from a German family. He even calls German his mother tongue.
3: But after World War One, the British monarchy wants to distance itself as much as possible from its German heritage, understandably. Yeah. King George V even changes their last name to Windsor from Saxe-Coburg, Gotha. Yeah. And Edward wants to reclaim this part of his German heritage. And he also wasn't allowed to serve in combat in World War One. And maybe that had a little something to do with his love for the Germans.
4: Yeah, you would certainly think that fighting an enemy in World War 1 would make you at least have some reservations against them in the Second World War, but he's not allowed to fight because he's the crown prince and he goes on sort of a publicity tour instead, which makes him very popular with his own people.
3: Right, but when he takes the throne, his sentiments are a bit at odds with the rest of the British government. Hitler of course is in power and Edward is a fan of his, and the British government was not, to put things simplistically. When Hitler says he's sending forces into Rhineland, England says that it's opposed. The government makes that known, and Edward says both to his own government and to the German ambassador, which was a huge breach of protocol, we're not opposed to this. If you try to stop Hitler, I will abdicate. So the threat of abdication actually came much earlier than his actual abdication. Well, and it's so
4: shocking here that he's stepping far beyond the bounds of his figurehead sort of position and actually threatening to take real action. Oh, and grasping at power,
3: yes. So he does abdicate to marry twice-divorced American woman Wallace Simpson. But back to being a Nazi, (laughs) Edward is pretty well-informed politically, and he has some real connections to the Nazi party and to people in power.
4: Yeah, at a party in Vienna in June 1937, the Duke tells uh, an Italian diplomat that the U.S. has cracked his country's intelligence code. So everybody is kind of thinking... How does the duke know this information? Exactly. How
3: does he even have it? Badeau sets up for the couple a trip to Germany to meet Hitler in October 1937. It's
4: only a few months after their marriage.
3: Right. And so they dine with him and there's, you know, the photo of Hitler kissing her hand. And so we're not just talking about two people who privately hold pro-fascist sympathies. We're talking about people... Who are making it obvious, and again, very at odds with their own government. The photos of the Duke in Berlin are used as Nazi propaganda. He even visits a training camp, which is reported about him seeing future Nazi leaders. And the Windsor
4: set, the people who they hang out with, aren't drawn from regular um, aristocracy folks. It's celebrities, they're charming, they're famous,
3: and a lot of them are fascists, too. Right. They hung out with Other Nazi sympathizers, such as Oswald Mosley and his wife, Diana Mitford, these two were actually married in Joseph Goebbels' house. He and Hitler were their witnesses. And even more charming, Diana owned a diamond swastika necklace. Just a, you know, special little detail about some of their (laughs) friends.
4: Um, And the Duke is frustrated at this point that his family is dithering so much about um, what his role will be, what... In what capacity will he serve his country? And it's a, it's a difficult question because what do you give to a king who abdicates? You obviously can't give him too much power. He's sacrificed it. But he is the son of a king, and he's someone who
3: has been king, and he can't be completely sidelined. And he wants power, and he wants a voice. He's advocating appeasement at this time, which was a very unpopular sentiment. And he records an announcement in March 1939 urging peace with the Germans, and the BBC says, absolutely not, we're not hearing that. So Britain declares war
4: September 1939, and the Duke is stationed in France at a, as a British liaison, but he's also communicating with the Nazis.
3: The German minister mentions in a letter that he has a direct line of contact to the duke. And in May 1940, the duke gets helpful information to Hitler, who's in Belgium and trying to invade France. And this is when the red flags start popping up for people like Winston Churchill. Yeah.
0: privileges and start earning points toward your next day. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels
2: come true. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Annabe. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right. Sofas from only $639 dollars.
4: The Duke is also the one who tells the Germans that the Allies have their plan for invading France. Consequently, uh, the Nazis change their plan, and France is lost. Um, so there's an issue, though. The Duke and Duchess are in France when it falls, and Churchill is terrified that the Nazis will kidnap them.
3: Which is smart, because that was actually the plan. The Nazis wanted to kidnap Edward, and they figured when Hitler had conquered Great Britain, he could install Edward as the puppet king. And then, of course, Wallace could be queen, which was also her goal. And Joseph Goebbels said about the duke, It's a shame he is no longer king. With him, we would have entered into an alliance. And I'm going to say that if Goebbels is your biggest fan, you might want to rethink what you're doing.
4: Yeah. The Duchess, meanwhile, is hanging out with von Ribbentrop, or Trop, we're not entirely sure how to say that one, um, who is the Nazi foreign minister. Lots of people thought that he was her lover. He supposedly sent her 17 carnations every day to represent the number of times they'd slept together.
3: And the British government is aware by this point that the Duchess is having dealings with Ribbentrop, and they keep moving them all around Europe to try to keep them away from him. At one point, they end up moving them to Spain, but there are too many Nazi sympathizers there, and it doesn't stop the Duchess from corresponding with him, so they move them to Portugal. But that doesn't help either. She still manages to worm her way in every single time. And the government is scared that the Duke or the Duchess is going to say something to the press about their Nazi sympathies. They want the two of them where they can do no harm. The idea is to neutralize their influence.
4: Shut them down, basically. Um, But they're having a good time hanging out with all these German agents. It's all very glamorous for them. And things do get more heated. Edward is giving statements to the press that are very defeatist and kind of pro-Nazi. And Churchill orders him to come home or be court-martialed. And Edward responds that, He's not coming back to England until his wife is treated like royalty, which gets back to an issue we discussed in our earlier podcast, that even though she was named the Duchess of Windsor, she didn't have the title uh, of Royal Highness.
3: And this is a big sore point for the two of them. So while they're in Portugal in July 1940, the German ambassador in Lisbon passes a message on to Berlin. The duke believes with certainty that continued heavy bombing would make England ready for peace. So at this point, the duke is advocating bombing his own people, which, is well,
4: pretty shocking. Yes. Yeah. And he also tells the Spanish royal that England's government is going to collapse and that a new government will take over and make peace with Germany. And somehow his brother, George, will
3: abdicate and the duke will get to rule. So it's sounding pretty delusional. And Winston Churchill knows the Duke is bad, bad news, and he's finally had enough right about at this point. Which
4: is interesting, too, because Churchill was the Duke's major supporter when he was a king considering abdication. Well, and then
3: he didn't know about his his sympathies. It's not until the war he's seen Edward's hidden colors. Yeah. So instead, the Duke and Duchess are sent to the Bahamas in August 1940, where the Duke will be governor. and. The two of them hate this. They absolutely hate it. They think of the Bahamas as their Elba. Which is really
4: self-aggrandizing, isn't it?
3: Oh, yeah. We're just like Napoleon. (laughs) And even there, they're both still scheming. Edward's trying to hang out on the yacht of Axel Vennergren, who is the best friend of Herman Göring, And the British government says, are you kidding? No, that's just not happening.
4: And in December 1940, the Duke also gave an interview with Fulton Oursler, who was an American journalist. And in it, he said that Hitler was a great man and the right and logical leader of Germany. And he also wanted Roosevelt to act as some sort of mediator, which obviously Roosevelt, I mean, no way, that's not happening. Um, in
3: 1941, even, Roosevelt put them under FBI surveillance when they were visiting Miami. And supposedly, She was going to visit a dentist, but she did all sorts of sketchy things like this. She was sending all of her dry cleaning to New York. Why would you send your dry cleaning to New York if you lived in the Bahamas unless you were passing secret messages along? So the FBI report has some shocking things to reveal and – The big bomb was that it was the Duchess's politics that made it impossible for Edward to marry her and keep the throne. It had nothing to do with her divorces, which had been the official line all along. And so really, Wallace Simpson may have saved us all from the Nazi king.
4: So, yeah, that's obviously the big shocker from the FBI report. But it also mentioned things like the Duke was drunk a lot of the time, and the Duchess told people that he was impotent, and she was the only person who could actually satisfy him. So very uh, personal details for an FBI report, um, and pretty
3: pretty surprising. Well, and it was a huge deal when these records came out, because the monarchy in general had largely denied any allegations of Nazi sympathies, as had the official biographer of Edward. So these revelations were even more shocking.
4: Well, it makes you wonder how much people knew at the time. You know, obviously, most people didn't realize the extent of this couple's sympathies with the Nazis, but. Um,
3: What did they know? Yeah, what
4: did they know? The Duchess in her memoirs actually paints them as victims in all this and says that they were tricked into going to Germany because Hitler and Edward had a mutual interest in public housing projects. And once there, you know, they couldn't be rude. They're such high society
3: people. No, you can't turn down an invitation to dinner. (laughs) But – Even until the end of the war, Edward is still quoted as saying things like, after the war is over and Hitler has crushed the Americans, we'll take over. The British don't want me as king, but I'll be back as their leader. Well, guess what, Edward? No, that never happened. So
4: the question remains, would Edward have been a Quisling king if he had remained in
3: power? Which is our new favorite phrase, I think.
4: Yeah, it's from a Norwegian politician who helped the Nazis conquer his own country. And it means a traitor or collaborator. And um, it's a a scary thought kind of to imagine
3: this pro-Nazi sympathizer remaining king of England. Well, and it couldn't help but remind me of when Prince Harry got in so much trouble for wearing that Nazi outfit on Halloween. Yeah. Learn some Windsor history, Harry.
4: Well, and, and you're also forced to think of the comparison of the man who actually is King, Edward's younger brother, and his wife, Elizabeth, who are – So well known for their war efforts and keeping the country together and boosting morale by staying in London during the Blitz.
3: Right. They were in Windsor Castle and Buckingham Palace the whole time, even though they were told to flee to Canada. They
4: were actually almost killed in,
3: in Buckingham Palace. It's quite a contrast and something to think about.
1: Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree.
1: Let's go places.
0: No one likes to talk about money. Am I saving enough? Can I buy a house? Am I paying too much in taxes? Will I be able to retire? What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T dot com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice.
3: Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo.